text for this morning's sermon is from Numbers 6, the verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you feel blessed by the Lord? Is it a thought that ever passes through your mind? Are there times when you think or say, I am so blessed? Perhaps we may feel that on our birthday or our wedding day or at the birth of one of our children. Perhaps you feel that when sitting around a table with family and friends at Thanksgiving or Christmas or when you celebrate a wedding anniversary. We associate blessings with good times, with happy occasions. There are many times in life when we don't feel particularly blessed. It's hard to feel blessed when you're sick or when you or a loved one has been diagnosed with a serious illness. Financial stress and relationship difficulties can drag us down mentally and emotionally. Currently, we're in the midst of a health crisis with all the associated restrictions. Not being able to physically attend worship or to hang out with family and friends grinds on us. Instead of feeling blessed, we get frustrated and impatient and grumpy. And so we need to pause and to take stock. What is it that makes you feel blessed? Are we actually blessed by the Lord or not? And if so, then why don't we feel blessed? And what does it really mean to be blessed by God? How can we share in the Lord's blessings? The text for this sermon is quite familiar to us. We hear the priestly words of blessing repeated each Sunday. At the end of our morning worship service, our service concludes with the Lord pronouncing his blessing on us. And so I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord blesses his people. We'll consider where blessings come from, what blessing is, and how we receive this blessing. Our text contains instructions from the Lord for the priests. The Lord told Aaron and his sons that they were to bless the people. The priests served in a special role in Israel. They served as mediators between the Lord and his people. When God's people came before the Lord, they had to present sacrifices. The priests were involved in offering these animals to the Lord as guilt offerings and sin offerings and whole burnt offerings to pay for the sins of God's people. 
The priests also offered incense offerings, which symbolized the prayers of God's people rising up to heaven. Our text shows how at the end of each service, they were commanded to bless God's people in the name of the Lord. Our text makes clear where blessing comes from. It comes from the Lord. To make this clear, the Lord repeats this three times in the blessing he commanded the priest to give to his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When we see the name Lord in capital letters in our Bible, we know that it refers to God's covenant name, Yahweh. Through this name, God taught his people he's faithful and true, that he keeps his promises throughout the generations. It was this faithful and loving God who commanded that this blessing be laid upon his people. So why is there so much emphasis on where our blessing comes from? It is because of our natural tendency to look for blessing in all the wrong places. That was one of Israel's greatest struggles, and it's still a problem for us today. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, the Lord laments his people's waywardness. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Instead of seeking their blessings from the Lord, Israel tried to find their blessings in all the wrong places. As God's people wandered through the desert, they often moaned and complained that God was not taking good care of them. At times, they talked about, and once they even tried to return to Egypt, to the land of slavery, because of the meat and the vegetables they used to eat there. Later in Israel's history, we see them time and again going after the gods of the surrounding nations, seeking security and blessings in them. Instead of trusting in the Lord to protect them, they turned to the surrounding nations and made military alliances with them. Instead of drinking the sparkling water God provided, they drank from stagnant pools and from muddy ditches. And beloved, are we really all that much different? Don't we often try dig our own cisterns and find blessing in all the wrong places? Some try find blessing in possessions and in the status they offer. We work hard to get ahead in life. We think that if only we acquire the things on our wish list, we'll be happy. We think buying a nice house, driving a new car, getting the latest electronic gadgets, having savings for retirement, and so forth, will make us feel blessed. But as we attain more stuff, our desires increase, our lists grow, we never seem to get there. Perhaps you've sought blessing in relationships. You wanted a husband or wife, son or daughter, 
or to finally find a true best friend. You thought that if you just had those relationships, you'd be blessed. Perhaps you're seeking blessing in the respect and admiration of people at work, or in the acceptance and love of family and friends around you. Life goes on and God grants you a marriage partner and children and friends. But somehow your expectations shift and you still don't feel truly blessed. Do you know why that is, beloved? It's because we're seeking blessing in all the wrong places. Please understand that I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us with many good things. The Lord often grants us material blessings, health and strength, good relationships, and respect, acceptance, and love from those around us. These are good gifts, and they come to us from our Heavenly Father. The problem is not with the gifts themselves. It's with what our hearts strive after. Any of God's good gifts becomes an idol. We give more importance to it than we do to the giver of all our blessings. Our text makes clear that all blessings come to us from the Lord. It was the Lord who had redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought all those devastating plagues on the Egyptians until finally Pharaoh allowed his people to go. God led his people through the Red Sea while drowning Pharaoh and all his chariots and horsemen in the midst of the sea. The Lord brought his people to Mount Sinai and reestablished his covenant with them. He promised to be near to them and to lead them to the promised land. It's striking to see that the Lord commanded the priest to bless his people in his name, in the book of Numbers. All the priestly laws about sacrifices and offerings are recorded in Leviticus. But the command to bless his people comes in Numbers. Why is that? Numbers gives the history of God's people as they traveled through the desert on the way to the promised land. It records 40 years of trekking through the wilderness. The Hebrew name of the book of Numbers translates as in the desert. And how did the Israelites begin their trek? Under the Lord's blessing. As his redeemed people, living in covenant fellowship with him. Same for us today, beloved. We too are on a journey. Many places in the New Testament make it clear that we are exiles. We are sojourners on this earth. This world is not our homeland. We're traveling through life on our way to a better country, to a heavenly inheritance. Yet how do we make our way through life? How do we travel the pathway leading to everlasting life? In the same way as God's people of old, we do so as God's redeemed people, living in covenant fellowship with him. We do so 
under the Lord's blessing. How is that possible, you ask? We're people who so often lose our way. We lose sight of the fact that we're pilgrims and sojourners on our way to a better homeland. Often we live for the here and now. We seek after earthly comforts. So how is it possible for the Lord to bless us? Israel's blessings came to the people through the priests. First, the priests presented the people's sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. The blood that was offered made atonement for the people's sins. It foreshadowed the great sacrifice of our true mediator. It's only after the people were brought into covenant fellowship with the Lord that they received his blessing. We know that all God's blessings come to us through Jesus Christ. He lived a life of perfect devotion to God. He was willing to leave behind the joy and glory he had in heaven to come into this world for our sake. At his baptism, the Father spoke from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus' glory was revealed to his closest disciples. Jesus was illumined with the glory of God. And the disciples heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. They witnessed what it's like to see the Father's face turned toward Jesus in blessing. Yet the only reason why God blesses us today is because of Jesus' priestly work. It's because he was willing to offer up his life for us. Jesus walked the pathway of suffering. It wasn't just the way to the cross that drove him to his knees. It was the burden of our unfaithfulness. He paid for the sins of our unfaithful hands and our wandering feet by having his faithful hands and feet nailed to the cross. For our sake, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What we need to understand, beloved, is that the cross is the very opposite of the priestly blessing. Did the Father bless Jesus and keep him while he was on the cross? No. He allowed Jesus to fall into the hands of sinful men who hated him and who conspired against him to kill him. Did the Father make his face to shine upon Jesus on the cross? No, he poured out his wrath on Jesus. He delivered him into the hands of Satan to suffer the torments of hell. Did the Father turn his face towards Jesus and give him peace? No. He turned his face away from him so that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the Son turned his countenance away from Jesus. The land was in darkness for three hours during the most intense time of Christ's suffering. He was cursed so that we might live under the Lord's blessing. Brings us to our second point. And we'll see what blessing is. 
Let's take a look at the threefold blessing that the priests were commanded to lay on God's people. The first line of the blessing is, the Lord bless you and keep you. So what does it mean for the Lord to bless us? Well, God blesses us both materially and spiritually. Materially, the Lord provided richly for his people during their desert sojourn. He sent manna from heaven to feed them. He allowed water to flow forth from a rock to give them drink. Their clothes and their sandals did not wear out. When they wanted meat, he sent quail to satisfy them. Though they trekked through an inhospitable desert, God provided for them in every way. In a similar way, the Lord blesses us by providing us with all we need to live. He grants food and drink, shelter and clothing, health and strength. Despite the fact that we're in the middle of a health crisis, which has caused much economic hardship, God has continued to grant us all our material needs. The Lord grants us family and friends. He allows us to belong, to be accepted, to be loved. Earlier in the sermon, I asked you to consider what it was that made you feel most blessed. Those things, all those things, are blessings from the Lord. And yet our material blessings are only a small part of God's blessings to us in Jesus Christ. God has adopted us as his children in Christ. He grants us forgiveness for all our sins. He allows us to share in Christ's righteousness. As God's redeemed people, he has poured out his spirit in our hearts. And the spirit renews us in Christ's image. In Christ, we share in everlasting life. Despite the trials of this life, we have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we see how incredibly rich we are. We truly are blessed by the Lord. Part of the first line of the Lord's blessing is that he will keep you. Remember, Israel was traveling through the wilderness. They faced danger from wild animals. They were confronted with enemy nations who attacked them. And yet the Lord was faithful in his promise to keep his people guarded them. He protected them. He did not let harm befall them. He led them through their wilderness sojourn with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord protected them for 40 years until he brought them into the promised land. And in the same way, the Lord has promised to keep us. In the midst of all the trials and sorrows of life, God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As God's people, we have our sworn enemies. And the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. Yet Jesus' good shepherd promises that no one will snatch any of his sheep from out of his hand. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 verse 5 that, by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. 
The Lord will keep us as we walk along the pathway of life until, like him, we may share in the glory that he has promised to all those who love him. The second line of the priestly, bre- of the priestly blessing is, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. So what does it mean that the Lord makes his face shine upon us? I think a simple example will make this clear. Children, does your mom or dad's face shine upon you when they find out that you've done something really bad? It doesn't, does it? They'll often have a bad look on their face. Their face is dark instead of shining with light. Perhaps they're mad at you. Perhaps they're really sad. You know exactly how they feel. You know you're in trouble. Well, when the Lord's face shines on us, it's a sign of how he feels about us. It's a sign that he is happy His shining face means salvation. In Psalm 31, verse 6, David pleads, Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. In Psalm 80, the psalmist prays, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Thus, God's shining face symbolizes that all is well between him and us, that we have once more been restored to fellowship with him. What God's shining face symbolizes is seen in the rest of the second line of the blessing. It's explained by the words, and be gracious to you. We use that word grace a lot, especially in church. Yet repeated use of this word can cheapen what it means. Grace is receiving exactly the opposite of what you deserve. Imagine that the Lord's blessing said, May the Lord grant you exactly what you deserve. Knowing our sins and our shortcomings, that would be a curse. For by nature, we deserve to come under God's condemnation. And so the Lord being gracious to us means setting us free from the curse and instead granting us his blessing. Instead of being considered God's enemy, by grace we've been adopted as God's children. Grace is receiving God's unmerited favor because of Christ's redeeming work. The final line of the priestly blessing is, The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The word our text uses for the Lord's countenance is the exact same word used in the second line of the blessing for his face. We don't use that word countenance much in the English language anymore today. I think that the NIV captures the sense of this blessing well in the words, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So what does it mean to turn your face towards someone? When you turn your face towards someone, you give that person your attention. 
When you turn your face away from someone, you are ignoring or rejecting them. And so when God turns his face towards us, it's a sign of his love for us. It's an indication that he accepts us, that he desires communion with us. It's confirmed in the words, and give you peace. The Hebrew word shalom is used. Shalom refers to more than the absence of fighting or war. It refers to wholeness, to completeness, to harmony. Where there is shalom, then things are as they were intended to be. It's a sign of fellowship, of contentment. The Lord's blessing of peace shows that in Christ we've been restored to fellowship with him. God doesn't just give us many good gifts. He gives himself to us. Our gracious God delights in having a relationship with us. This brings us to our final point. You know, we'll consider how we receive this blessing. The Lord gives his blessing to his people freely. It's not because of how good they were or how well they behaved. It's only because of God's mercy and grace and love. God blesses his people because he is by nature a good God, because he delights in giving good things, especially to his chosen people. Most of the people in ancient times did not think about the gods in that kind of way. They believed there was a whole pantheon of gods that they needed to appease in order to get any blessings at all. They viewed dealing with the gods like we often view dealing with the government. The government has enormous ability to help us and to make our lives run smoothly. But it's often hard to get the government to give us what we need. The bureaucracy shuffles you from one office to the next. You often have all kinds of delays and you need to wade through a lot of red tape to get what you need. It's hard to get a blessing from the government because often the government doesn't seem to care about our little issues. Because people thought that way about the gods. They didn't think that God would freely give them his blessing. They thought that they had to manipulate blessings from him. Many of God's people were afflicted by a works righteousness perspective on life. They figured that if they lived their lives right, if they did their best to obey God's commands, then he would bless them. But our text shows us the opposite. Aaron does not ask the Lord, how do I bless this people? Moses doesn't intercede for the people asking for mercy so that God might bless them. Instead, the Lord initiates the blessing voluntarily because of the great love God has for us. He delights in blessing us, his people. It's important to see the context in which God commanded the priest to lay a blessing on the people. It's at the end of Numbers 5 and 6. Numbers 5 gave us a series of laws that showed Israel's uncleanness, rebelliousness, and unfaithfulness. 
These laws showed how easy it was for God's people to break fellowship with the Lord, to be excluded from the camp and prevented from worshiping him. The first part of number six recorded the law of the Nazarite, but how any man or woman could make a special vow devoting him or herself to the Lord. These chapters provide a stark contrast between Israel's natural unfaithfulness and how someone could live a life of special devotion to God. Now, which of those two pictures represents Israel the best? Was Israel more like a faithless wife or a devoted bride? I think we all know the answer. As Israel traveled through the wilderness, the people murmured and complained. Despite God's wondrous provision for them and the divine protection with which he surrounded them, they were utterly discontent. Later in Numbers, the Lord tells Moses that his people put me to the test ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Israel was often a stiff-necked and a rebellious people. Despite that, the Lord commanded the priest to bless the people at the end of each service at the tabernacle. From Exodus 29, we know that the priests were to offer on the altar two lambs as a burnt offering each day, one in the morning and the other at twilight. Morning and evenings were times when God's people could gather to partake in the worship of the Lord. And at the end of each service, the priests blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Thus, each day again, they received the assurance that God's blessing rested on them. This morning, we read part of Luke 24, about how the Lord Jesus went up into heaven. Before he left them, Jesus lifted up his hands and he blessed them. It's likely that the Lord Jesus would have used the priestly blessing from Numbers 6. It's the first time we read of Christ giving them the full priestly blessing. Remember, the priestly blessing was only given after the sacrifice was brought. The reason our Lord could give this blessing at this time is because he had offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Christ blesses his disciples because he's the great high priest who has brought the perfect sacrifice, atoning for our sins and reconciling us to God. As church of our Lord, we may be assured we share in this blessing. Beloved, at times we forget where our blessings come from. We get caught up in the worries and the cares of life. Our perspective gets clouded by fear about what might happen to us or to our loved ones. Yet week by week, the Lord assures us of how blessed we are. Sometimes, beloved, we view the Lord's blessing as a dismissal from the church service. We fidget, put stuff away, or just can't wait to get out of church. But then we miss the best part of any church service, God's blessing of protection 
and grace and peace. Pay attention when the Lord blesses you. Consider how blessed you really are. That will give you the courage and the strength you need to go forth on your sojourn on the way to our eternal homeland. Amen.